It's Tuesday, December 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. You're not crazy. You are spending more time in that fast food drive-thru, and they're also a little less accurate. A new study done with mystery shoppers found that we were spending about a minute more in these lines than we were last year. And when it comes to accuracy, Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell top the list. Amelia Lucas, restaurant reporter at CNBC.com, joins us for what to know. Next, when things go wrong at an Airbnb, a specialized safety team mobilizes to help the problems go away. In some cases, violent crimes or even severe property damage is taken care of by the secretive PR who is armed with NDAs and millions of dollars in settlement money. Team members have said that the job is nerve-wracking trying to balance the interests of guests, hosts, and especially the company. Olivia Carvel, reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for how Airbnb is spending millions to make bad news go away. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Number one is the fact that Americans are just using drive through lanes a lot more than they were before the pandemic. You know, they're just more crowded. So if it's a longer line, you're going to be waiting more time for your food. Joining us now is Amelia Lucas, restaurant reporter at CNBC.com. Thanks for joining us, Amelia. Thank you for having me. I want to talk about one of my favorite things, food. I obviously, I love food in restaurants, but the time that you spend in the drive through at fast food restaurants has been uh, the subject of some actual studies and, and things be- that I never knew before. Your latest article talks about how it's not just your imagination. You really are spending just a little bit more time in the drive through and the orders that are being taken are a little less accurate. So, Amelia, tell us a little bit about this. What, how much time are we spending in drive throughs So this year, the total time in the drive through became 382 seconds, which is nearly a minute longer than pre-pandemic times, according to this annual report from Sea Level HX, which does kind of an annual study, sends out mystery shoppers to different fast food chains to test their drive-throughs. Yeah, so we're spending, it's like about six minutes or so, I guess, total is what it seems to be about. But yeah, they they use mystery shoppers. They sent them to drive-throughs across 10 chains, and I think it was about 1,400 restaurants in total. So that's what they're seeing is that we're just spending that little bit more time. Why do they think that is? What is the behind all of it? So there's a couple of different reasons why this could be happening. Number one is the fact that Americans are just using drive through lanes a lot more than they were before the pandemic. You know, they're just more crowded. So if it's a longer line, you're going to be waiting more time for your food. Two, there's a labor shortage right now, a labor crunch. Restaurants are having a really hard time finding enough workers to staff. And so that means, you know, there aren't as many people in the kitchen filling your orders. It might be uh, people juggling a few more tasks than they normally would. And on that front, real quick, just uh, newer workers, right? We've seen the labor shortage, but if you're having a lot of turnover, newer employees, they might not know the system, right? You know, that could bog things down as well. Yeah, definitely. If they haven't had as much training or as much time for training as well, it certainly makes things a lot more difficult. A third potential reason, too, is that A lot of fast food chains last year kind of trimmed down their menus, got rid of things that weren't selling as well because they couldn't have as many workers in their kitchens. But now they've started to bring some menu items back. And that just, you know, makes it, again, more difficult for the workers to complete orders as fast as they need to. As I mentioned at the beginning, too, order accuracy dropped also for this last year. What did it drop to and and who's doing it right? Like, who are the best ones that are getting the orders right? So now about 85% of fast food orders are fulfilled correctly compared to 87% last year. 
And top of the list this year for accuracy was Chick-fil-A. And then Taco Bell, which is owned by Yum Brands, came in second. Yeah, and then I guess there was a tie between Arby's, Carl's Jr., and Burger King. Those all tied for third place. You know, that's just an interesting thing. I, I guess part of it, they say, obviously, improve the technology that you're doing with, you know, those little digital menus that kind of read out what your order are just so you can kind of confirm along the way. Those are very helpful in getting those orders right. Did we see who did it right when it came to speed as far as like less time spent in those drive throughs Yeah, so unfortunately this year they did not publicly share the rankings for each of the 10 restaurants and how well they did in terms of speed. But last year KFC was at the top of the list, which makes sense because, you know, putting chicken in buckets is definitely much faster than hand flipping some burgers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got to cook the chicken beforehand and whatnot. I'd be curious to see what that list is. You know, one of my favorites, I live in California, obviously, in and out I love going there. But man, anytime you you get into an in and out line, you're going to be there for a while. And depending at the time of day, the line is into the street in a lot of places. So so that's a very tough one to get through. Unfortunately, in and out was not one of the 10 chains that was uh, surveyed because they're not national. But, you know, I certainly I wonder about some of the other ones that didn't make the list as well, like Starbucks. Amelia Lucas, restaurant reporter at CNBC.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. When you've got 2 million people spending, you know, staying there on any given night, of course things are going to go wrong. And when things do go wrong, this is the team that picks up the pieces. Joining us now is Olivia Carvel reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Olivia. Yeah, thanks for having me. You wrote a wonderful piece about Airbnbs and what happens when bad things go wrong at these uh, short-term rentals. You know, sometimes there's violent crimes that happens. There's actually a PR team that works really hard to keep a lot of this quiet. It's one of their safety teams, I think they call them. And sometimes they offer millions of dollars in settlements. Uh, There's a lot that goes on. Uh, You were able to speak to a number of the safety agents and and employees of Airbnb that talked about how this all works out. Olivia, tell us a little bit first about the safety team and what they do. And then we'll get into some of the examples of things that help go away, let's say. So the safety team at Airbnb is a highly specialized team of agents. There are about 100 of them based all around the world. And their backgrounds are mainly in trauma care or military or even emergency services response. So their real job is to do what they can to respond to safety incidents or crises when they occur on the platform. So if you can imagine, you know, on any given night around the world, two million people are staying in an Airbnb. The platform is incredibly popular. It's so well known that it's used as like a verb in everyday language. You'll often hear people say, hey, I'm going to go stay in an Airbnb this weekend. So when you've got two million people spending, you know, staying there on any given night, of course things are going to go wrong. And when things do go wrong, this is the team that picks up the pieces. So these safety agents, their real goal is to protect the individual in crisis and in doing so, try and protect the company's public image from you know some of the worst safety incidents that occur on the platform or that occur inside listings that are booked through the platform. I will have to say after reading your piece, 
it's worked. I frequent Airbnbs when I travel. The most I've ever heard of was raucous parties that were going on. You hear more stories of bad things happening in an Uber or a Lyft. So definitely the safety team is doing that job. You've heard a couple things here and there, but nothing to the level of what I I read throughout your piece. So uh, start us off with the first example that you use, because this example will kind of fuel the rest of the conversation. There was a woman uh, from out of town. I think she was from Australia and she was celebrating New Year's Eve in New York. And she was unfortunately raped in an Airbnb. And the circumstances of that was so creepy also. But if you could, please tell us that story. So this is kind of our, I guess, introduction into this piece. We really wanted to use an example of a case that a safety agent, you know, that might land on their desk or that they might have to take the call on. And also a case where the company did make a large settlement payout related to it. And I think what makes this particular situation interesting is that the crime occurred in New York City in 2015, well, at New Year's Eve that year. If we think back, that was right at the peak of Airbnb's regulatory fight with city officials in New York. And this was a pretty fierce fight between the city and the company. The city wanted Airbnb to play by the rules because it was breaking housing regulations. And Airbnb wanted the city to change the rules. You know, from its perspective, everyone wanted to home share and New York was too strict and its rules were draconian and they wanted the city to kind of get with the times. So it was during the peak of this battle that a young woman from Australia flew into Manhattan to celebrate New Year's Eve in New York and Shortly after the ball dropped, she returned to the Airbnb that she was renting with a group of her friends. She went back on her own, and when she got into the apartment, a man was inside hiding in the shadows, and he was holding a kitchen knife, and he attacked her, he raped her at knife point, and then he fled. And one of the real concerning pieces of this particular crime is that when this man was later caught by police, They opened up his backpack and inside it, they found one of the woman's earrings. They found the knife and they also found a duplicate set of keys to the Airbnb. And it's the fact that this individual actually had access to the apartment. He was inside it. He had the keys. And that's what kind of raises the question of potential liability Airbnb. And that's one of the things that Airbnb hasn't really settled to this date, even the whole notion of the keys, the handing over the keys, when you should get them. I mean, everybody knows and everybody's seen those little lock boxes hanging either on the fence. Mm-hmm. In this case, I think they had the lockbox in a nearby bodega where they can pick up the keys. But that's something that also hasn't been resolved. And in this case, you know, as you mentioned, these some of these high profile People that work on this team, you know, enter a guy named Nick Shapiro. He was a former deputy chief of staff at the CIA. He worked as a national security advisor in the Obama White House. He was working as a crisis manager for Airbnb at this time. He was really new to it. In the end, they never really found out how the man got those duplicate keys, but the woman was paid out $7 million in this case. She had to sign like an NDA and all that. And then that story really never went public. And we never heard about that. It did result in a $7 million payout. That is one of the biggest individual settlement payouts that my reporting was was able to kind of find. I don't think the company, you know, makes multi-million dollar payouts of this magnitude regularly. They said to us that even six-figure payouts are pretty rare for them. So this is a case that resulted in, in one of their biggest payouts. 
but she did not actually sign an NDA. It's interesting, the wording of the settlement agreement said that she couldn't assert or imply responsibility on the part of Airbnb, but it did allow her to speak to prosecutors, speak to police, or to kind of share her story about what happened to her that night. She just can't lay the blame on Airbnb. Tell me a little bit more about what the team does. The way you put it in the article, they're at liberty to spend as much money, whatever it takes to help those victims, obviously, and in turn, helping the company. They describe it as shooting the money cannon at things. And give me some of these other crazy stories that happen. What are they telling you about how it all operates? On any average year, 200 million people are staying in an Airbnb, and a tiny fraction of those stays result in a safety incident, you know, less than... 1%, 0.1% of stays result in any issue. But when you have 200 million people, you're still talking about thousands and thousands of safety incidents a year because there's tyranny in numbers. When they started out, the safety crises were only small, but now they're huge. So the safety incidents get bigger and bigger as they grow, or the number of safety incidents get bigger and bigger as they grow. And that's why they've had to really like work on this team, develop a good system, develop a process, and really get a sense of what they can do, what they should do when things go wrong, and the extent to which they can try and help individuals in crisis. So over the course of my reporting, I spoke to over 50 former Airbnb employees, including more than half a dozen that were based specifically on the safety team. And I heard about some pretty awful cases. Obviously, given... um, You know, anything that happens in life can happen in an Airbnb. Kidnappings, hostage scenarios, drug trafficking, child abuse, sexual assault, rape, murder. All of these scenarios have occurred inside an Airbnb listing, just as they would likely have occurred inside a hotel, a motel, or in any given apartment in a city. But to give you some specific examples that were, you know, particularly difficult for the safety agents to handle. There are a few that come to mind. There was a situation of a guest who was staying in an Airbnb in Minnesota and he attended a wedding and came back to the property drunk and crawled into bed naked with his host's seven-year-old daughter. So you can imagine what it was like for the safety agent taking the call from the parents of that young girl after that occurred. And then there are other cases like a a host in Barcelona who was actually using short-term rental platforms, including Airbnb, to try and find victims. And when young women were traveling, he would, you know, offer them a place to stay through the platform. They'd come and crash on his couch. He'd take them out drinking, get them very drunk, and then attack them and rape them and threaten to upload photographs of the attack to the internet unless they dropped the case. The man was convicted, he's behind bars, he's been banned from Airbnb, but the woman in that situation did get an undisclosed payout from the company as well. I mean, it's such a tough situation. I mean, obviously Airbnb can't control the actions of everybody. And as you mentioned, any of the number of these things can happen anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. a hotel or even somebody's own personal home. So right. that's tough. And as I mentioned myself, I, I use Airbnbs. I've never mm-hmm. had a security issue, thankfully, but these are concerns. And so what has the company done? Obviously, we're talking about this safety team that helps keep a lot of this stuff under wraps. I know their terms of service also figure into all of that. But what mm-hmm. has Airbnb officials said about how they're trying to turn this around or how they're trying to approach all this? 
Yeah, I mean, Airbnb is pretty open about the fact that they are continuously working to upgrade, expand and enhance their trust and safety policies. Things around, for example, you mentioned party house problems. This was a big deal last year, particularly through the pandemic, as professional party promoters kind of weren't able to use you know, nightlife events, spaces in the cities as all the cities shut down with COVID. So they shifted to short-term rentals and started throwing huge parties in Airbnb properties, which turned into super spreader events. This is also a safety incident. You know, at these parties, sometimes there are mass shootings. Sometimes there are sexual assaults. Sometimes places just get absolutely trashed and the company has to come in and pay out the hosts for the damage. And in the wake of all of that, the company really created these policies to try and prevent party houses. They put a ban in place on party houses, so you couldn't have more than 16 people at a property. They also banned users under the age of 25 who didn't have a history of positive reviews from booking an Airbnb in the area where they lived. So that's kind of trying to target a guest who is booking a one-night stay in you know, a 10-bedroom house just down the road from their own address. And obviously that kind of raises some red flags. They also created a high-risk reservation team that specifically tries to hunt down listings or bookings that look as though they could be suspicious or could lead to party house problems. They've put $150 million into enhancing trust and safety programs just in 2019. So the company spends a lot of effort trying to think about policies that could really prevent these kind of things from happening. But it's a really complicated, nuanced area. It's also a platform. So you have hosts and then you have guests. And sometimes they disagree on what happened. And the company has to kind of act as the mediator in that situation. And it also has to think about its own reputation, its own risk, and if there is any potential liability around some of these cases. And the safety agents are really right in the middle of all of that. They are often struggling with mental health or vicarious trauma through dealing with these pretty awful harrowing cases. Some of them form, you know, bonds or relationships with some of the victims and are still talking to them years after the fact because they help them through an absolute nightmare and you kind of create a, you know, it creates a bond between you and that other individual who went through trauma. And these safety agents, not only do they have to kind of wrestle with the high personal emotional toll of the job, they also have to, you know, be right in the middle of regulatory issues, cities where the company is fighting for regulations, safety crises are even more potentially concerning to its its public image and its future and its number of listings. Then they've also got the issue of the company's public image and, and what they do in terms of like offering people money to try and ensure that they don't then go onto social media and accuse Airbnb of, of doing something or being involved in the awful crime that they fell victim to. Olivia, it's a great look into what happens behind the scenes. Excellent reporting on all of this. Some documents that you guys saw, Airbnb spends an average of about $50 million annually on payouts to hosts and guests. They say it's mostly legal sediments due to damage to homes and all that, but just a really good look into all this. A lot of details we did not get to, so I suggest everybody go out and check out her piece. Olivia Carvel, reporter at Bloomberg News, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, 
give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.